Amen. Again, good evening to you all. Uh, we are uh, concluding tonight the series that we've been in for a handful of weeks now in the book of Ecclesiastes, titled Chasing the Wind. We started this uh, back around Labor Day, and, and we've now made it through, so congratulations, friends. You've made it through the most depressing book in the Bible, all right? Hopefully it hasn't been too bad, uh, but but really what Solomon has been doing over the course of the, the book and, and the examples we've looked at is he looked at all the different areas of our life where we try and find meaning and significance and try and find wholeness from them, uh, no matter how good they are. Uh, he said if we're looking to that thing or that person for our wholeness, uh, it won't satisfy. It'll be like chasing the wind, or as he said it over and over again, it is uh, vanity of vanities. It's like the, the smoke that you see and you cry and grab a hold of, but it slips through your fingers. And the main point that he's been driving at is that if we look for that ultimate satisfaction in anything in this world, we'll come up short so that we find our whole fulfillment, our whole purpose, our whole meaning in the one place where it's meant to be, which is in Jesus Christ. That's his main point in the book of Ecclesiastes is to show all the ways that all the other things fail and, and point us to our ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And, and the, the big claim that he makes and really the rest of the Bible and Jesus himself is that he's the only place, he's the only person that can handle our, our, our weight of, of expectations and hopes of fulfillment and bringing us that lasting peace. Which may sound like hyperbole, which may sound like, well, Pastor Andy, you got to say that. You're a pastor. So you got to tell us Jesus is the answer. But really, he is. And really, he is the only one that can handle the weight of our expectations, of our hopes, of our dreams, of our uh, uh, wanting to be content and satisfied. He's the only one that can fulfill it. You know, at the beginning of this series, way back on Labor Day weekend, I used the example of kind of the command hooks that you can get and you can, like, if you were in college and put them up in your dorm room and, and hang things off of them because they're nice and cheap and easy to install and easy to take off. But, but the thing is that, that we all know that, that there's a weight limit on those things. And if you put too much weight on it, um, guess what's going to happen? You're going to damage the wall, you're going to damage whatever you're trying to hang up, and then you've got to probably pay, if you're a college student, you've got to pay the school more money than you already are. <laughs> so no fun for anybody. But the command hook has a, has a limit of how much it can hold, and, and I wanted you to think about that image as you think about all the things in our life that we, we hang our hopes and, and dreams and expectations on, and if we put too much on them, they will fall under the weight of them. You know, it, it can look like this. It can look like when, when things in our life that we look to to bring us fulfillment, they, they let us down. And it could be really good things. You know, I've had the opportunity to, to perform a number of weddings as a pastor. And whenever I get to sit down with couples and talk about, you know, marriage, and we'd sit down in premarital counseling, and, and one of the questions I would ask them is, hey, so you're about to get married. What do you envision marriage to be like? Like, what do you imagine this is going to be like in your day-to-day -day life for you? And, and some of the responses would be from, from these couples that, well, listen, I, I, I get to marry my best friend, so we're just going to hang out all the time, and it's going to be amazing, and we're going to be happy, and we're never going to fight, 
and it's going to be so much joy. We're just going to get along so well. And I have to gently remind them, first of all, um, you're a sinner, (laughs) and they're a sinner too. And when you get two sinners in a room together, let alone living under the same roof together, let alone being around each other for as much as you're around each other, here's what's going to happen. They're going to do something that, that wrongs you. And you're going to do something that wrongs them. <laughs> and there's going to be conflict. And there's going to be disagreement. And there's going to be times where they're going to get on your nerves because they do things a certain way. And you're going to get on their, their nerves because you do things a certain way. That is bound to happen. And, and I have to gently remind them, Listen, if you're going into this relationship thinking that this other person is going to meet all of your deepest desires, all of your deepest wants, and fulfill all of your deepest needs, you are setting them up for failure. Because nobody can do that. They will let you down. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's a friend, whether it's someone else in your life, if you look to a person to fill that need, They can't do it. They will let you down. Command hook. Can't handle the weight. Or maybe you look to a job you do or a role that you have and you find your source of identity and your sense of purpose in how you do at that role. And it can be a really good thing. Like, I know we have a handful of parents in this room. I get to be a parent. And I thank God that I'm a parent. I thank God that he's given me that task and that great opportunity and that that I get to love these children that God has entrusted to me and I get to raise them. And I'm sure that, that parents in the room, you feel the exact same way. But here's what we all know as parents. It is never ending. They're born into this world and they hand them to you and say, here you go, take them home, keep them alive. No instruction manual, just take them home, figure it out. And so you do that, and you're, you're stressed out, you have no sleep, and you're trying to make sure this person is alive and cared for, and then they start getting older, and then they start asking questions. So many questions that you don't have the answers to. They don't care. They're going to keep asking questions about why you don't know them. Why all the stuff. You answer all the questions, it never stops. And then they get a little bit older, and then they start getting involved in activities. And guess what? You've got to be in 20 places at once. I don't know how you guys do it. You guys clone yourselves, and you're like, great, we have to, you know, get into 20 places at once, but you got to do it. Then they get a little bit older, and then all of a sudden, maybe they get out of the house, but maybe they look at you, and they're like, you know what? This is a pretty good setup for us to live with you, and you feed us, and you give us shelter. This is all good, so I'm going to stay here for a little bit longer. And then they eventually do get out of the house, and then they call you because they need a problem at their house, and that you are going to help them solve, and that you got to come over and fix them, and all the fun stuff, and she's going, going, going. And you as a parent, it's never ending. We love it, but here's what I want you to realize. The demands that are placed on you never stop, and if you base your entire self-worth on how good of a job you do as a parent, you're setting yourself up to be crushed under the weight because it's tiring. It's a lot. We love it, but it will wear us down. And that doesn't just go to parents. That goes to all of the different areas of our life, all the different things that God has given us to do. And if we base our self-worth on how we do at that thing, we will be crushed under the weight of it, because we were never meant to find our self-worth from how we perform 
in any of those areas of life. The command hook can't hold the weight. And so Solomon and scriptures and Jesus say nothing else can hold the weight of that except one person, Jesus alone. He's the one we find our fulfillment. He's the one I find find our hope, our self-worth, our identity. We look to him as the foundation and the source and the meaning of our entire life. He is the number one person we lean upon. Solomon puts it this way in verse 13 that we heard. He said, the end of the matter, all has been heard. In other words, he says, I've done the homework for you. I've done the research. I've gotten the PhD. You don't got to look it up. You don't got to figure it out. Here's the answer to the meaning of life. He's giving it to us right here. Here's what you need to know about the center of and why you exist and what you aim your life to be about. He says this. Here's what life is all about. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. Which I get doesn't sound all that great. The idea of fearing God isn't something that we love, but, but in the Old Testament, to fear God meant to trust him. And so if we were to kind of translate it to our modern day as Christians, what Solomon is saying this, the center, the purpose of our life is this, to trust in Jesus and to live under his lordship. Trust in Jesus and live under his lordship. There's a million things that you and I can put our trust in. And we do. We put our trust in a lot of things. In big things and small things and little things. You're putting trust in those chairs right now, friends. By sitting in them. That is an act of trust. That is an act of faith. But when it comes to the big things in life, the, the source where we place our ultimate trust, our ultimate dependence... Jesus says to put it in him. Because if we put it anywhere else, we won't be satisfied. If we put it anywhere else, we'll be let down. If we put it anywhere else, we won't be fulfilled. We will be crushed under their demands. But if we put it in him alone, above everything else, that is where we find peace. That is where we find contentment. That is where we find meaning and wholeness. And here's the thing, what sets Jesus apart from everything else in this world and why I put my trust in him above anybody else or anything else is nobody else and nothing else has given me this incredible unconditional love like Jesus has. The thing that sets Jesus apart from anybody else that you know that anything else in your life exists is that nobody else gives you the same love Jesus does. And he gives it to you as a gift. He gives it to you even though you won't measure up, even though you're going to struggle, even though you're going to fall short. He gives to you his very life, his forgiveness, his death, his resurrection. He's won that for you, and he's proven to you that you can trust him. And so as you think about the thing that you place your trust in most— Jesus says, you were made to trust in him above all things. That's the the aim of your life. But out of that, we also, as Solomon says, keep his commandments, or in other words, live under his lordship. 
Because here's the thing that the church has said for thousands of years, that Jesus is Lord. That was the very first confession of the church. Jesus is Lord. And if he's Lord, what does that make you and me? Not Lord. (laughs) Makes us servants. You and I are servants of the Lord Jesus. That's what we do to keep his commandments, is we serve him as Lord. Which really, you can think about it in two words. You can think about living under Jesus as as Lord, as submission and imitation. Let's talk about the word that we all hate, that I said at first, submission. We, as 21st century people, that word makes us kind of squirm. We don't like it, but But that's what it means to live under Jesus as he is our Lord. It means to submit to his way of life. To look at all of our life, to look at all areas and say, Jesus, let your will be done, not mine. Jesus, I think about this relationship, let your will be done, not mine. As I think about this this thing, let your will be done, not mine. As I think about how to handle my relationships, my stuff, my body, all of the things in our life, to live under Jesus as Lord is to say, I'm not going to determine what's right and wrong. I'm going to look to you to tell me what is good, to tell me what is the right way to go. And I submit this to you. And that's incredibly difficult because I think that that all of us in this room, I'm willing to bet, we would say, we love Jesus. I, I think I know all of you pretty well. That, yeah, we love Jesus. We follow him. We serve him. But I know for me, and I imagine for you too, that when we say that, yes, I serve Jesus as Lord, what we also need to recognize is that there's areas of our life that we love to build fences around. We love to build fences around this area of my life and say, Jesus, you can tell me how to live my life in this area, but this one, I'm going to build a little fort, I'm going to build a little fence, and I'm going to stay Lord of this part of my life. I'm going to stay Lord over this area. You could tell me to do all the other areas. I'm all good with that, but, but not this one or not that one. And we build our fences, and we say, I will be Lord over this part of my life and part of serving Jesus and following him and trusting in him is getting really good at tearing down fences about looking at the areas of our heart and mind and our lives that we've tried to hold off to the side and to tear down those walls and say Jesus let your will be done not mine means submitting to him but it also means imitating him. It means submitting to him and it means imitating him. Uh, how many of you have been to like carnival type things where you have all those carnival games, you know, little like ring toss and uh, the water gun. You guys, have, you guys know what I'm talking about. I see some head nods. All right. Um, here's the thing that I don't know if you know this and if you don't, you do now. Those games are rigged. <laughs> they make them purposefully so that you're gonna fail like 95% of the time. Like you look at it and you're like, I'm just tossing a ring onto a bottle. How hard can this be? Or throwing a ball at, a, at something. 
but they've made it so that it looks easy enough, but they've changed it and warped it so that it's incredibly difficult. And I think about that picture, I think about that when I think about all of the things in our life that try and get us to follow their way of living and try and imitate them. All the other little L lords in our life, all the other things that try and say, hey, put your ultimate trust in us rather than Jesus, and then they say, imitate us, live your life this way, make your life all about this. Here's the thing, when we try and imitate them, It's a rigged game because you're not going to do it. You're never going to measure up. You're never going to be able to actually achieve. And they're going to tell you, if you just do this, then you'll be enough. If you just follow this way, then you'll be whole. If you just do these five steps, then you'll have peace. But here's the thing. It's a rigged game. You'll never get there. But the amazing thing about Jesus is that when he says, I want you to imitate me, we actually can. When Jesus says, you can imitate me, we actually can. Now, we can't be Jesus. Don't hear me telling you that, yes, you can go be the Savior of the world, because you can't. I can't. (laughs) How many of us can get up on a cross and die for the sins of the world and then rise again from the dead? None of us can. But Jesus isn't asking us to be him. He's asking us to look at how he lived and say, how can I imitate his posture, his his priorities, his way of treating other people? How can I imitate that in my life? So Jesus, one of the things he did is he lived an incredibly humble life. How many people in this room can live a humble life? Every single hand should be up (laughs) because every single one of us can live a humble life. How many of us could look at Jesus and we see the life he did where where he sacrificed for the needs of others? How many of us can live a life where we can sacrifice for the good of other people in our lives? Not necessarily dying on a cross, but, but sacrificing our time, our resources, our energy, our comfortability. Every single one of us can. Jesus lived a life where he sought to bless other people How many of us can imitate that way of living where we seek not to make our life more comfy and get more stuff for us, but bless other people? Absolutely every single one of us can. Jesus says, imitate me. And every single person can. That doesn't make it easy. (laughs) But we can do it. We can look at his life and say, Jesus, I want to imitate your hearts. I want to imitate your posture. I want to imitate how you treat other people, how you view the world. I want to imitate that in my life. And that, that's what it means to live under his lordship. And Solomon's whole point in the whole book of Ecclesiastes, if you take nothing else away, is that you were made to trust in Jesus, that your whole sense of fulfillment can be found in him and that you were made to imitate him. You were made to follow him and to try as best as you can, as best as I can, to live as he lived. And he said, that's why you were made. That's your purpose. And if you embrace that, 
trusting in Christ above all things and seeking to live as he lived, that's the fulfilling life. That's the life that isn't chasing after the wind. That's the life that matters. That's the life that's sure and that's solid. Close with this, uh, this story. There was a pastor by the name of William Williman who he had a parishioner at his congregation who he went to go visit on his deathbed. Uh, this was a, a congregational member that he didn't get to know very well. He wasn't around his church a whole lot. He was kind of on the rolls, but he didn't see him too often. And he was visiting on his deathbed and talking to him, and, and the, he started to tell him about a story about when he was younger, a number of years before this, how he saw a vision of Jesus. Like, he saw a vision of the resurrected Jesus as if he was, like, in the room with him at some point earlier in his life. Like, if you remember the story from the Gospel of John with uh, Jesus after he rose from the dead, and he surprised the disciples, and Thomas was like, I won't believe unless I can see the, the wounds in his hands and on his side, and then Jesus shows up and is like, hey, Thomas, check it out. <laughs> the guy was like, I saw a vision of that Jesus showing up to me, and it was like I could see him right in front of me. And then William Williman said that the man said something that has haunted him ever since. Because then the man looked at William Williman and said, I saw this vision of Jesus and I told no one. And he said, why haven't you told anybody about this? This incredible thing. And the man said, if I told somebody, it would mean that it was real. And it would mean that that my life would need to change. That it would change everything about my life. And he said, I didn't want to do that. I tell you that story to remind you that, that even if you haven't had this incredible vision of Jesus, Jesus is real. And he has revealed himself to you. He has come to you to show you what he's done for you to show you that he is above all things, that he is the Lord and you can trust him and he invites you to put your faith in him and to let him change your entire life. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. Amen.